Welcome back to Movie Trailer Reviews Podcast. Your host Chris here with Brandon and Roe, and we are here to review the movie Poor Things, uh, the incredible tale about the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, a young woman brought back to life by the brilliant unorthodox scientist Dr. Godin Baxter. Uh, I'm not going to bother to try to butcher this director's name. Um, it stars Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, Willem Dafoe. Uh, what do you guys think of this film? I'm gonna, was... I'm gonna let Ro go because I'm not mature enough to talk about this film first. You're not, you're not, oh, talking, you're not, mature, you're not mature enough to talk. Y'all about didn't it. warn me that I needed to be. You should have known. Alcohol on deck. I probably should have. Furious jumping. You didn't. I mean, you you did. You <sighs> thought that you thought that a film that talked about that named having sex furious <laughs> jumping. <laughs> you oh. thought that that was. You thought we were. You thought we were going to be mature during this one? Are you serious? Did you really? Did, no. Did we need to, no. Did we, I understand us needing to warn you about the color purple, <laughs> but did you really think that we needed to warn you about poor things? You saw this movie before us. I did. I did. And so why would you on earth not be prepared? I, no, I don't know what I was thinking. I mean, first of all, it's Yorgos Lanthanos movie. So, uh, you know. The lobster, sacred and the killing deer. I was underprepared going to this movie and should not have been, but I ended up really liking it. Um, I liked it. I didn't think this book could this the book it's based on could be adapted because it was so many different points of view. But the screenplay kind of found a way to bring it together in in all its really weirdness. And I I love what they did with the cinematography. I think it's a little slightly odd that the entire color palette is based off, you know, the acids from your intestines, in case you didn't catch that. Totally is. That's why we get such mustard yellows and but I I was I was oh, pleasant. Time out, time out, bro. Yes. Yes. Where would we have gotten that information? I mean, just just I mean I'm weird. And it's just Thank something you. that jumped out to Thank me. You. you just wanted to make me say that? Realize. Okay. Okay. I'm because a weirdo. You said that suggestively in a fashion that made me feel like I'm not the only person who know noticed that. Thank you very what much. What the color of digestive acids look like. I mean, you know what? <laughs> Shut this up. presumption, I feel, is unfair and was uncalled for. Okay, fine. <laughs> I'm yes. sorry. I, I'm sorry. Ish. But, um, it's 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 a whole lot of nonsense on top of a lot of really smart commentary, and it's 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 put into this weird steampunk esque alternate Victorian age. Uh, I think it handles some things very well. I think it it slightly tries to overreach on others from the limitations, both from a point of view that it, regardless of it being. Uh, female lead, it's still through the male gaze because it's written by a man, it's directed by a man, and um, there are just some aspects of how they put the story together that I think are leading to the gross titillation and your inability to be grown-ups while talking about this movie. Um, but I thought it was imaginative uh, and hilarity, and I really want someone to give um, my forever favorite actor an award for his role as the roguish lawyer. Mark Ruffalo should be nominated for everything for Best Supporting Actor because his, 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 his 
that put that poor lawyer. She put him through it. She dragged it. She broke him. And I enjoyed watching. He deserved to be broken. Don't give me that. I didn't didn't say he didn't deserve to be broken, but I mean, he's just a man about his time, and and he got his comeuppance. And I like I liked it. I I mean, some of the commentary they gave, some of the satire, it was very overt. It's like literally driven by the whole idea of Bella Baxter in existence and. The cross between Frankenstein and Eliza Doolittle for me was like it's spot on. A little more Pygmalion, like the real thing, than just the movie that got made later. But I, I loved how they used the cast. I liked how they played with certain tropes. I like how he decided he wanted to subvert some and others that because it's supposed to be a commentary about self discovery, self discovery, and self determination, they kind of tripled and doubled down on. I I thought everybody was well cast um overall for the most part i thought everybody was well used i wasn't really happy um that the two most interesting storylines at least to me the one in french france with toinette and then the other on the boat with harley ansley were very truncated story arcs so underutilizing black folks who actually you know were interesting but for the most part i couldn't stop watching. I've seen this movie more than once. I saw it in the theater early, and then I watched it again when they gave us the screener, and I still liked it after I saw it the second time. Yes, Brandon. What? What? What I do? I would like what to know happened? what you think, Brandon. Oh, you know, since um, since you're angered by my speaking from an insider information about angered? I don't know death. Perplexed, I think, is a more appropriate notion than angered because you okay, said it enough. again. So <laughs> you're being very generous in um. Your 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 objective view on what we should be knowledgeable in. So that's why I was okay, curious. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't the only person who kind of noticed that they were doing some in- weird things with the color palette. And then I saw later that someone actually asked the costume people and they were like, yes, yes, that is that thing. And we were doing it. It is on purpose. And you're not wrong thinking that that's where the color scheme came from. So, yes, maybe I just broadly assumed y'all were you know y'all weird too so maybe i just i was wrong to assume that this was an intersection of weirdness for us i'm sorry Brandon. <laughs> okay for all is forgiven <laughs> um i mean so i did not i'm in this thing i'm kind of i'm kind of on this trip now where i don't watch trailers because i just don't care like if i see the cover for a film if i see what actors are in it if i see who directed it that will either pique my interest or do nothing for me, absolutely. Which probably is why one of the biggest surprises this year for me as far as seeing a film that I liked and had absolutely no interest in watching whatsoever was Gran Turismo. Um, that was never going to get any time for me. Shanna, it's all Shanna's fault. And But thank you. You know, so I'm kind of at that point. I saw Poor Things. I saw Emma was in it. I saw some of the other actors. And I was like, okay. This is interesting. I'm going to watch it. I love the the cover for it. I love the um the design for the characters and everything, right? Cuz I'm not really into particular like uh I'm not into the whole like uh older looking like, like y'all had to y'all had to push me to watch the favorite because period piece films of that era, Victorian era stuff really don't do anything for me and I tend to get very bored. This one started off raw and ridiculous. And 
I was immediately sucked into it. It took me two viewings to finish it only because I was watching it like three in the morning and I did not expect it to be so ridiculous. And I ended up falling asleep. and was like, I need to finish that. So I waited again until like two in the morning the next night to finish it because it just kind of worked for the whole ambiance for me. I like I understand what you're saying about certain commentary worked and certain commentary might not have worked. And that being possibly because it's coming from a male hand and a male gaze. At the same time, I feel like Tony McNamara is writing specifically for Emma Stone with Emma Stone in the room. Because the way she took this character and pretty much carried this film on her back, like literally twirling through this film was just, I'm not, I, I don't know how she does not get a best actress nom for this ridiculous movie and this intriguing story and since the favorite, I've been trying to figure out if she is just trying to get on the raw ass raw side of indie-ish Oscar writing or driven filmography because the way she exposes herself completely in this, I was a little, I was taken a bit aback. It's like, and, and I've seen the favorite. So I've seen her do raw. I've seen her do nudity. I've seen her do be sexualized in, in, in this way, especially for this era. But this was on a whole nother fucking level of just, oh, there is just graphic. Oh, this is just all sexually graphic. And she is completely open and completely nude throughout this whole film. But like none of that took away from her character, right? Because she dominates in every scene, even in, even when she's in scenes with Mark Ruffalo. I feel like this year is the film of we about to make y'all see how weak men are who act like they're not. And this is just another film in a lineup of films where I'm like, yo, they are tearing men down in these films and just they're breaking them completely. And she does that throughout this whole film with very, you know, blatant observations of male toxicity and the the way she words it and the way she says it makes it sound so general as if we all should have have, have picked this up even with the way she does her speech like the way she talks and the way she words things as, as chris pointed out in the beginning of the film is very driven by the action she's seeing instead of like the proper verbiage you that would be used to describe it you know, happy humping and stuff like that. Just just weird. It, it makes it, you know, they talk about how she's childish in the beginning of it, but she's not really the fur the more you get, the deeper you get into the film, especially when she goes off on her own. So um, I was all about her story. Of course, Willem Dafoe's character, his backstory, his terrible ass father, um, all of that I thought was great. And then, you know, I, I do remember seeing from the, tra- the trailer that Gerard Carmichael was in this film and his character absolutely was a present, was a pleasant surprise. Um, I really enjoy all of that. I definitely enjoyed when she went and worked in a certain. Uh, era appropriate. Job for women. As, as I'm going to put it. And just all of the the different experiences and the information she was able to ascertain from me in those situations and the way they kind of uh, deemed to defined men through that. I feel like that was very, it was very easy for me 
to watch that and enjoy it because I had just wa- I had just finished watching Blue Eyed Samurai, which did the same thing, just in anime form. That's the that was the only difference, right? And I like I just kind of enjoyed this kind of this speculative film that is saying a lot while seeming like while not needing to use a whole lot of words to say it. And I think it's really easy to follow, given the fact that it's not your typical Victorian's error style film as far as the speaking goes because of her character. So, um, I mean, this is definitely on the top of my list of if I'm trying to break you and see if you really about sitting through these films, I'm going to suggest that you watch this. And then you can holler at me later. Yeah, no, I um, I really enjoyed this film as much as we joked about it being inappropriate with this film. Um, I I think there is it's a lot of dark humor, but also it's is the humor that comes from going like oh, you're kind of making a point there, um, type type of thing. And again, just there is the way Bella is, the way you're introduced to Bella, the way that her character matures throughout this time. I mean, you literally watch this character kind of grow up and kind of almost view the world with this childlike viewpoint and then and then kind of and it brings a freshness to kind of things that other people are doing um but it also then leads to, again <laughs> furious jumping it leads to these very childlike and, and and humorous um moments but yeah i know i really enjoyed this film like you said i think emerson definitely you know does a lot i mean this film was about her right i mean it's not a it's not to downplay the you know Mark Ruffalo or even Willem Dafoe or anybody else in this film to say that she's carrying this film because the film is about her, it's about Bella. And if she is not, if you don't have a lead that can carry this film in the way that Emma Stone does, this film doesn't work. Just flat out, it, it just it it would not. I mean, it goes from even the way she's acting in this film. I mean, as the film goes on, even subtle naive it's not subtle but the way she walks around the way she moves her motor skills all that stuff changes you know and where the character is at the end of the film from compared to the beginning very differently and so that takes a lot of acting right there are moments when i'm watching this film and emma's playing bella and she's saying certain things but then she's still walking very stiffly and i can only think of like that like there's a moment in this film when i'm watching her do this and i was like that had to drive her fucking crazy to have to do this the entire time in this film as much as she's doing that. And you're trying to make a serious, you're making a serious point. It's a very serious scene, but then she walks off like that. And it's just one of the things of like, that takes skill. You're not going to get very many actresses or actors, to be perfectly honest, that would be able to pull that off. So I, I definitely think that her performance is one of the best we've seen this year. Um, at the same time, and you know, Ro, you know this because I probably—I don't know if I'm gonna write a review for the film, um, but I did talk about it with you at TIFF. You know, you know, I saw Willem Dafoe also in that film, uh, Gonzo Girl, and I just swear Willem Dafoe is one of my all-time faves just because he's fucking deranged. Even when, even in this film, and and playing Doctor uh, Godwin Baxter, he, you know. 
there are nuances with his character, he's still fucking deranged. It's still Willem Dafoe. As soon as I saw him on the screen, like I, for some reason, I didn't, I saw some of the trailers for this. I didn't know Willem Dafoe was in the movie for some reason. I knew that Mark Ruffalo was there. I knew Emma Stone was there. I didn't know that Willem Dafoe was in there. So I see him on the screen. I was like, oh, great. Let's see how this is going to go. Because Willem Dafoe is fucking nuts. And I will say, he did not disappoint. He's fucking batshit insane. And I, I just, I can't think of a role that I've seen Willem Dafoe in that I have not enjoyed him in. Because he is, I don't know if he's acting. I don't. I don't know if he's acting. And so, um, no, no, I really enjoy this film. I, I think there is, um, I mean, obviously, Ro, you probably know more because you read the book and things like that, and so you have a different perspective on, on, on different things that, but to me, not really knowing what I was getting into with this, I'd say I was very pleasantly surprised, and I really did enjoy it. No, I, I mean, I like, to take it back to Ro's point in the beginning, I didn't know I wanted a Frankenstein film where Frankenstein is creating a, has created another Frankenstein. Mm. Yeah. Like I didn't know I wanted that. And yeah. now like this is pretty much a very awesome and I think a modern take despite the era on what you can do with that, right? So like I really appreciated that aspect of this well, film. I mean, exactly. I mean that that's what I that's what I loved about all that's what I kept saying I didn't know like like this is one of those books that I had read to me. I had someone like I did an audiobook because I was like, "This is too many points of views." Y'all, I don't know how you do this, but the way that he put together this 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 linear storyline, I like I like the love. The great thing about it is they just it's kind of matter of fact that you get a little into this, and after you've listened to Willem Dafoe talk for a couple of times, you're like, "That's the monster. That's Doctor Frankenstein's monster. This his father is Doctor Frankenstein." Well, then, but the, but the funny thing about this is real quick. The more he talks, you start realizing it's like, I mean, yeah, technically he's the monster, but Dr. Frankenstein was the monster. Because was holy dead shit. ass the monster? Because the, yeah. shit, the, shit, yeah. the shit that he just casually <laughs> says to Max, and Max is just going like, why would he do that? Oh, experiments is what he did. I'm like, oh, so what we're talking about here is, uh, what we're not going to address here is uh, generational trauma in men yeah. and how it, yeah. how it shapes them. Yeah. I was like, oh, we're not going to comment on that? That's what I mean when I'm like, y'all y'all don't even understand some of the things like i don't think white people think about generational trauma like mm-hmm. so sometimes i think one of the reasons why we get really good stories where that just seems like to be a thing that happens from there to there is because it's a storyline that they don't really kind of see so they don't fuck it up if that makes sense yeah but this was the first time that i actually watched something where it felt like they were very self-aware that they were talking about the you know the sins of the fathers and the behaviors of the sons because i was like he's just like he's like why would he do because he people just kept asking him well, why would he do that he's like well how was he gonna know if he didn't right he's like of well, course i mean like, it's Stockholm syndrome for, no he's like for dad, science right? like, you know i was just like the fuck he was defending him he was yeah defending the atrocities that his father did oh yeah he slit my testicles apart to see the inner workings of the scrotum and, and while I was awake and, eating and, cereal. And I'm just like, what kind and, of story but the, and, and is right. this and, telling right now? And the thing about it is, so he's doing that, right? But then you watch as he, what he does was Bella. And you start going, it's like, oh my God, you're a better father than your father was. Because mm-hmm. there, there's a moment when like she's going to leave and you would expect him to fight and things like that. He's just like, no, sew some money into her pocket. And it's basically like, hey, you got to go and do it. Like, you said that thing of like, Oh, dude, you're way more gentle. What the fuck? Like, I was like, mm-hmm. I was expecting. To, oh, I could, that's what caught me off guard because I was expecting the toxicity to come out of him on this, and it didn't. I was like, wait a minute, you're actually trying to be a 
oh wow that's a huh <laughs> you know it's a, that kind of thing right it's and, and that's why i love yeah. when they were like the whole nature versus nurture because he mm-hmm. didn't just keep bella in the lab mm-hmm. bella had a room Mm-hmm. Bella had a nursemaid. Bella grew up. Bella mm-hmm. ate she dinner. Free range of the premises, yeah. even on the roof, right? <laughs> but even it's cartwheels he, on the roof, right. right? But that meant that he actually raised Bella. She wasn't just kept in this, you know, mad scientist silo of, well, now I want to know this thing, so you know, get me, get me my cadaver, like. Mm-hmm. So, but. The, so the juxtaposition they gave you between like how he was treating Bella and then how he would talk when he would go to the university to lecture mm-hmm. and, you know, and how he would move around. I, that's what I really, it, it was just so really, and I don't think anybody besides Willem Dafoe could have played. Oh, hell no. Godwin. Oh, no. oh hell no. <laughs> did y'all feel, did, did y'all feel anything? Did y'all feel weird? Cause I, I you know, I'm, I'm aware of Rami, uh, Youssef because of the, the, the show Rami, of course, on, on Hulu actually had me watching it. So I recognized him immediately. Did y'all feel weird about his infatuation oh, absolutely. and falling in love with this person that he had just been told had the mind of like a top? Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I was just okay. like, I, mean, I, was just like mm, mm. I mean, define weird. What do you mean by weird? Why would you be? So if you are a scientific, if you are of a scientific like state and studies and you're going to work with this renowned intellectual why would you be why would you fall in love with someone he's explained to you as an experiment and the backstory of this experiment that has also been presented to you the fashion that she introduces herself in and has the mind initially when he meets her of again a toddler a because small he child. was already in love with her before he figured out what had happened and where she came from he was so maybe already he was. I, I, that's why I asked. What do you mean by weird? I think this is this is going to sound terrible, but um, a significant number of men who exist on Earth have a very low bar for what they expect when it comes to the intellectual rigor of the women who they are engaged with. So, him this is meeting such a her. Answer row than just like okay. Now that you've expounded upon it, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. At first, I was like, what? And then I'm listening to you, and you go, they we have low bars, and because of that, we do weird things. Okay, he was cool. awestruck. He saw her. She was beautiful. He was awestruck. He had been told that she was, you know, recovering from an accident. So any of the things that happened with her physically in that so regard. Had syndrome. No, she was beautiful. He was awestruck. And they don't really talk about it in the movie, but she was clearly outside of his class. So the chances uh, of him catching a woman like her attention and having the possibility of a romantic relationship with her was very slim to none regardless of that and this is one when i was saying oh, okay. that yeah so so i yeah, think he's that he, yeah, yeah i he think he's love her because she was kind of she would be deemed above his class i think that part he, i missed he, yeah, because i understood also, why every other dude wanted to have relations i'm using the word relations very lightly here because relations. the relations get dark he wanted to have yeah. relations with her throughout right, this but, whole film but women are property and you know i i think he was awestruck by her and i think that he was infatuated upon sight and i think that whereas she i think she stopped being just this 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 childlike being that he was observing and became a full woman to him once she started to reach a maturation level to where they're having 
on peer level conversations, even if she's still rapidly trying to catch up. Because also men taking what can be perceived as paternal roles towards women who they are also sexually attracted to is not something outside the realm of what y'all do. True. So, so true. I don't I feel like I don't think ahead, those would be necessary. It's okay. I don't think those would have been barriers for that. But I also think the movie doesn't really interrogate this, but I and I think that's a failing because I really feel like Rami Rami really could have done it if they'd given us just a little bit more of his backstory and everything besides oh, him absolutely. being the scholarship student in class. Um but you you do also have to remember that she's 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 well above his station. And mm-hmm. so now in exchange for him keeping his silence and staying involved, he gets to be her husband. Right. Of course he's going to say yes. I see it's and, for me and, it's just mm, especially like, once he's con- he's figured out that God perceives this as his child so he mm-hmm. does not have a rival for her tension sexually and she's also isolated so the isolation part was the part uh, that was like uh-huh. he's using that to his male advantage uh-huh. to 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 yeah, to and, 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 like no that part is what made it because you know me and chris you always say like well you and chris are not like other trash people oh, i God. don't say it that way i'm but a, yes. I'm a <laughs> higher class of trash okay Okay. No, we are. Yeah, pre- no, no, the breed of trash for, we know, are is not the expected, generalized tendency. breed of trash. Okay, it is not the clubhouse breed of no, trash. It is no, not the Instagram. Not. It is not the Twitter. It is not the Joe it. Button podcast. You got invited on breed of trash. It, no, that it is. is it is the laugh at it's co- laugh at the musical color purple trash. All right, I do. Right, we were, I have but, my but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But gave yeah. it its praise where it was due, but still was like. Y'all realize they singing about generational trauma. Type of trash. Like, but that's a that's a more that's a, that's a different breed. I'm just saying, like, I feel like we could easily have a discussion about, and maybe maybe I'm just have maybe I haven't been focusing on this particularly throughout the years that we've done this. I feel like this year there have been so many films that are blatantly pointing out how weak men are as one of the major themes of their films. And I'm just not talking about this or Wonka or, but I'm also sure. talking about like the iron claw. We, we're we're going to talk about that soon. We're going to talk about the iron claw in a, in, in a bit. Iron and, claw. Roy, mean, they, have you watched Royal hotel yet? Hotel? No, I haven't got that one yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dude, it, that whole film, which I didn't realize that was based on back, but that whole film is that theme, right? It, it's these, it's a continuation of this. Well, and, I don't know. I don't. I, I'm. I'm. I'm glad you're describing it as um, exposing men's weaknesses because I said it'd be a problem. But I also. But I also think ugh. some of it has to do with, um, you know, framing. It's like we're we're in a world where people are trying to put up artificial roadblocks to what can and cannot be considered a part of necessary for the storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. And a big one of those is sex and, you know, the hypersexualization. Mm-hmm. and I put hyper in quotation marks here, or like this idea, this, the, you know, the puritanical need of things coming back. And those, those are movements that are being driven by men. But so I, I think that when you have someone who likes to tell stories that are left of center, 
a lot of the stories that you're going to find that are left to center are looking at things about self-determination. They're looking and examining things about where the intersections are of freedom and patriarchy. And, um, and when you get into that, it's a, you, you, you're exploring a different kind of binary. And if you have, and this, I mean, Yorgo's a man, he's crazy as hell. Um, but you have someone who is not afraid to say, well, let's look at this from this point of view. Let's let's not discount this as a, a perspective worth in, in, interrogating or lampooning. It's like a, a lot of people have gotten to a point where they're like, no, it's OK for us to talk about these things. We can have fun with these things. But a lot of men are in a position to where they want to control the nature of how men are self-deprecated. Yeah. Um, but you can't do that if you're not willing to have the conversation at all. Exactly. That, like, yeah, all of that. And, like, also, I, I really appreciate it. I appreciate when I'm watching a film of white nonsense and they introduce a black character that feels like a black character who is surrounded by white nonsense. Jared did such a good job in this movie. <laughs> Gerard Carmichael comes in as this. This Jiminy Niggly Cricket. I hate you for her. I hate you right now. It's accurate. Jiminy Niggly Cricket. I said what I said. You know what? I'm not going to be able to undo that inside my mind. Yo, you know how good that Pinocchio film would have been? Oh my god. If we had a Niggly Cricket. Jiminy Niggly Cricket. I mean, even I mean, they would have got canceled. They would have gotten canceled. Right there, but... listen, even in a white world, you're not about to get away with that, Pinocchio. <laughs> <laughs> and like, that's what he does with Bella. He at one point, he literally saves her whole existence, body, and everything from a decision that she tries to make. And mm. him as a black person who is like, girl, no. has no reason to save her. It, given the atrocities that have been forced upon us for centuries. He being the better human species. So I will say. <laughs> goes, nah. Well, <laughs> don't I, take your pretty ass you down that. there. Right. <laughs> because you don't understand. I, I, I think between between him and uh, what was it, Martha, although I, I wanted more of them. I could I could have had more of them because when, when old boy tries to kill Martha and she laughs at his ass the entire time like yeah I mean but I, I think with, with with Jared and his character Harry I think part of it is also the recognition of oh this is somebody who also has been like is oh she doesn't know she is literally seeing the world she doesn't know what the world is she doesn't know the oh, really she's understand brand the, new. she's brand new doesn't really fully understand the cruelty of the world. I don't think he looked at her as just another white woman. Can I think if that was the case? Oh no, her ass would have been going down them stairs, right? No, it was. It was. He understood her inquisitiveness. Mm -hmm. You know, as being blindly driven. And thought, yeah, she. He didn't feel like she was being guided towards a more honest intake of data. Well, it was, it's also like how often <laughs> this is. This is going to be such an interesting statement. How often do you find? a brand new white woman <laughs> in this world 
I mean, are we? Are I you mean, fresh? Are, are you fresh out of the plastic? We just asking white men because they we, swear you can find one as long as you keep them in the house. We're, no, we're we're that's the that's the that's the that's the misguided port. That's the misguided understanding here, right? If you're asking white men this, it's not true. If you come to our country and you watch any film about <laughs> white people or Never any know. film about white people where we're sprinkled around them, you will understand if you sit and just think about what you just saw that every white person in that film is tainted by whiteness. I don't care about the gender, the age. They're all tainted by whiteness. But you can you can better understand how Harry can look at Bella and go, oh, she has no fucking clue about her whiteness. She's still trying to figure all of this shit out. No one's okay. explained to her what privilege actually does. No. Even though she theoretically understands that she has it. Or That's even what... the position of a woman, right, in this in this era, well, right? Everything was driven through that. Everything was driven through the lens of her having to, you know, push out of the bubble that women are kept in. And he's like, there's another bubble, <laughs> a little bigger than that one. Mm-hmm. Let me show you where the edges of it are. But I also like the fact that he was a cynic. And um, mm-hmm. obviously this is, I mean, his existence on the boat where he meets Bella, I'm trying not to spoil, but there's, there's, a, there's a voyage that happens in the movie. Um, it's proof that we are in an alternate Victorian age. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, unless he's a domestic in the bowels of this boat, this, this character, Harry Atsley, embodied by a black man, doesn't exist. Not like this. Um, but something happens and something goes missing. And I was like, it, they better not blame this nigga. Listen, listen, I think we all <laughs> did a deep sigh and relief that nobody went to go talk to <laughs> the one of on board. This nigga when better sh- be beyond that. When shit went awry. But, prejudice. Yeah. But. but but I really feel like I I on one level, I was kind of annoyed that they used the black character as the vehicle for this, you know, let me burst your bubble. Let me explain to you this other why? layer. But on the other hand, it felt right because it Wait, felt why? real. Why, why felt... were you annoyed by that? Why did, well, why didn't because you? they didn't follow through. They didn't, it doesn't really, it, it doesn't really manifest or coalesce into anything beyond that. Uh, be, it's one of the few times they bump up against race and class and they very quickly move away from it. But I understood why once I got further into the second and the third act, and I was like, okay, I that moment it resonates, it works, it wells. And Jared um did a great job. Is it Jared or Gerard? I'd be changing. I say, uh, I say Jared. It probably I mean, Gerard. Listen, it um, could be I don't I, know. I I changed the pronunciation of that man's name. I have done it. Uh, I did like the fact that he and Christopher Abbott were in this movie again because they were in on the count of three and I do kind of like them together. I was sad that there wasn't a scene with them together and that's that's just because I like their chaotic energy against each other. But mm-hmm. but I really felt like um this movie sometimes started to overshoot the mark beyond the capabilities of the people who were making it and then it remembered and it pulled itself back in so that's when i did that and they had that scene and they were talking about it i wish they had kind of circled back again once you got to again another part of the movie where she's in paris they had another opportunity to where they could have this kind of Mm -hmm. intersectional conversation and they don't so i was slightly disappointed that they created these touchstone moments of her growing morally because she's not only just growing intellectually, her ethics are being set, her morals are being set. And I love the fact uh, homegirls 
she got some she got some solid ethics, but she morally flexible as fuck, and I appreciate it about her. Can I, mean, I can yeah. I say this? This is yeah. gonna be wild. This is gonna throw this is probably gonna hmm. can I say that there is a very long thin line that can be drawn from a little princess to that part of this film. The the Paris part. And uh yeah. Uh, think on it, uh, see if you can catch up to me. I mean, do but, you mean the living in an attic thing or the other thing? The other thing in a little princess that is super obvious because it's only like three characters in that film, <laughs> and one of them mm, is to help the white girl understand her situation better because their situation is worse. I mean, but uh, mm, okay. I'm picking up what you couldn't tell. I will say I will say that I don't think that Tony McNamara, I'm assuming he's white. Is he white? I mean, unless he's changed who he is. As I, a okay. So I'm gonna assume that Tony McNamara and Yargos uh Lanthimos, they cannot further carry on the conversation that you wished and that Gerard was absolutely prepared to display on screen for <laughs> two obvious reasons <laughs> and the other thing being that just to give credence to the film i don't think that bella and i think that harry not gerard harry the character understands this very well that she ain't ready for that yet right but that's why i said once it circled back around to paris and i saw what the state of her development was once she disembarked i was like okay that makes sense that that's great and I could live with it. But I mean, and I also understand that that's not really the point of this particular journey of self-discovery. But it could it, be. Like, it could be, yes. But I don't always feel like, look, I am one of those people who is always appreciative of um, people recognizing the limits of their range. Like when we talked about Killers of the Flower Moon and a lot of people were like, well, I really wish we had gotten more from the perspective of Lily yeah. Gladstone. And I was like, yeah, me too. But that's not the movie that Martin Scorsese is, 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 is got the, the, the chops and the wheelhouse. Nah, and the range that's not to his make. wheelhouse. That's not his wheelhouse. And he doesn't have the range and he recognized nope. that. I also feel I like. I don't know if um, he recognizes it. I just no, think it's no, not. He, no, he's flat out said. He's flat out said he knew that wasn't. Yes. Then at that point, I kind of feel disrespected because you could bring in someone else to help you. No, he's flat out saying that the story that people are wanting to be extrapolated from is not one that should be told from the perspective or through the lens of Killers of the Flower Moon at all. Really? That it needs to be a fully native and a fully indigenous story with their perspective because Killers of the Flower Moon is actually... A re- a told from the perspective of the thing that precipitated the evaluation and the creation of the FBI. So mm-hmm. all of the lens and the focus is backwards looking. And it's also through a white lens and through a criminal investigation lens. And he's like, this, this, this would be the wrong lens. This I know how to do. I do this type of crime story. I do this type of investigative story. I do this type of mystery and thriller and 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 you know corruption story that mm-hmm. story that needs to be respected and this is not this would not have been 
And I feel similarly about how Poor Things is only with respect to what they chose to build out of the personalities. But I feel like sometimes they carved the edges off some of the character development or they they developed the character, made them so three dimensional. And then when it came to the historical drama comedy aspect of what to do with them, they weren't as assured as they were with other people. And that's where I get disappointed because Tony McNamara was involved with The Favorite. He also did The Great. Yeah. He did Cruella. So... Mm-hmm. He likes Emma Stone a lot. Well, I mean, you find a muse, you stick with a muse, especially if the muse keeps taking you to award shows. Well, if, um, a, if, a relate, if it just, if it works, a dream team, if it works. Right, but, I, but I also feel like because they tied her you know her curiosity and her awakening to one that was extremely sexual i think they underdeveloped some of the ones that should have been intellectual like like there like you said she naked a lot there's a lot of like like, like at one point so she stabbed like a corpse in the eye with whole like just giddy yes shit. and it is hilarious yes especially with she everybody catches so much thrill and joy from this action in the very beginning. This is one of those moments in the film that tests if this film is for you. Yes. Okay. It happens very early, and I always appreciate when directors do it. Um, is there a reason? Maybe I'm maybe I'm reading. Mm-hmm. Hello. Sorry. Um, I'm got two text messages. It kind of threw me off. Um, maybe I'm reading way too much into this. Is there a reason that Emma Stone's before the act's name is Victoria Blessington and after the act's her <laughs> name is like a superhero, Bella Baxter? Is that on purpose? Yes. Is that it? It is on purpose. Okay. Yes. You're not crazy. It's on purpose. Okay. I just want to make sure I wasn't reading too much into that. It's almost impossible to read too much into poor things. All the things where you think they're pulling from something to play around with some idea or concept they probably are and that's one of the things that i really like about this movie i do think some of the absurdity is going to put people off i do think some of the the deliberate disjointedness for how they present things is going to put people off i do think once you get towards the end and you get to the third act and you find out some of the stuff that they yada yada at the beginning wasn't quite so yada yada and they start to Mm -hmm. let that story develop it, it may throw you off and you may not be able to get all the way back into the groove because it does take a slight but abrupt turn i mean you thought you were on the dark side and then you find out that there's a cabin you can fall into and someone pushes you down the ravine and you get to see what's at the bottom it's great it's great but i do think that you also have to remember they're playing around with some lo-fi concepts of what used to be the way you shot movies like when you made frankenstein and i think they use those techniques fantastically um, I think this is one of the best ensembles that's in a movie all year. And I don't know why people aren't talking about more of the ensembleness because you, Emma Stone doesn't work without Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe doesn't work without Rami Youssef. Uh, that, that, that dyad around her doesn't work without uh, Christopher Abbott and Mark Ruffalo. Uh, it, like even as you start to see what's going on and you start to see who she's developing through and coming through at the end, you know, that doesn't work without her interaction with Toinette and Miss Prim, that crazy bitch. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, but you have all of these different moments and he's built this beautiful world that is on its face, peopled by everybody who would exist in the world in some capacity. So yeah, no, you, you're not, you're not if you think you're pick, picking up something that they've put down they probably put it down 
Like this I, is taking I, huge swings at patriarchy, at uh, intimacy, at gender identity and sexuality, but it's also taking a bunch of swings at class shit. Yeah, and, that whole Paris shit definitely goes through the the class shit a lot, which I appreciate that exposure. And I think it's one. I, def, I definitely think that's one of the more interesting segments of the film or acts of the film. Um, just just to kind of go back to what you were saying about the ensemble portion and why maybe critics are not um, pushing that harder. I think it's because of the way the I think it's because of the way the film runs. Um, it's because we follow her journey. She meets so many different characters so many different pivotal characters at different points in her journey but there's very it feels like there are very few moments where all those characters are together to kind of give you the ensemble feel feel maybe i don't know if if that makes sense but but i honestly didn't think of it either i didn't think of the ensemble casting right i didn't because of the way I I followed her through the film. I didn't think of it until you just said it. You're right. All of these characters, this film does not work without all of these characters together. So it is an ensemble casting, but they're not actually all together. That's why on, on screen. So that's why it really I really didn't ride with it. Uh well, I don't I I think that maybe that's just a difference, but when I think about an ensemble movie and whether everything works, I don't always just think about, you know, I think The Color Purple is another great ensemble cast. I No one piece of that works without the other, and I mean that for every version of The Color Purple that's ever been in existence. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I think the same thing about Wonka, and you have people in there who are never seen partners with each other. But I think more for me, outside of, like, the clear ensemble movies like Iron Claw, which I can't wait to talk about, um, um, I, I, I feel like when you start thinking about what makes a great ensemble, what really makes the great story, like it's, it's all well and good that you can pin, like, I think the killers of the flower moons is a great ensemble performance and you've got plenty of people in there who never cross scenes. True. But, um, I think you also need to think about it with movies like four things. And it's one of the things that makes it work. Everything revolves around Emma Stone, but nothing Emma Stone does mm. works without go ahead i'm sorry go ahead i'm sorry go ahead no i want to hear it when you it's it's, so every film you named i thought about scenes where there are where like a majority of what we might consider to be the main cast are actually in scenes together and even when i think of poor things in the very beginning beginning yes you get like romney willem mark ruffalo emma stone in scenes together but once she goes on her journey, it really is her like interacting with different personalities and different pivotal characters upon her journey where she's learning all these things about just people in general, how trash, right? Through the film until you circle around back to the end and we get more into our backstory, right? When you start talking about like Killers of the Flower Moon, there are things that seem small, like you talk about Killers of the Flower Moon, or you talk about Color Purple, there are things that seem small as far as where the full ensemble is involved but not like they're not huge scenes but because they happen because we see them i can more understand why you would see 
in the simulcast. Like, for instance, there's the dinner table scene in Color Purple, which we're familiar with, where a, a legitimate amount of the main characters are in that scene. So being able to pull ensemble out of that works easier. The same thing with Killers of the Flower Moon. There are a lot of scenes where a lot of the main characters are in the scene together. I don't want to say a lot. There are enough to where I, I assume ensemble casting, they interact, they talk, they share words. Like, even if you're going to the point of we're family, we have functions together, like that happens in Killer of the Five Moon. That doesn't, ha- because Bella goes on this journey as Bella, that doesn't, I, I didn't get it from, from Poor Things. And again, that's not to say that you're wrong. I'm saying that you're actually right. And, but because of the way I think or the way I associate that, I just didn't pick it up. Yeah, I think that's I'm I mean, I'm in the minority of thinking of things like this, but I think sometimes when there's one character who's in the middle and all of the spokes have to lead back to that character in order for the wheel to turn, you're still talking about an ensemble cast performance. Mm-hmm. And I think that Poor Things is one of the best examples of the alternate version of an ensemble cast performance that we've had in recent time especially in like maybe the last five years because it's so Mm -hmm. clear and um i'm i'm slightly dismayed because i think sometimes if people thought about this as the cohesive whole and we stopped trying to peel off to its parts and you kind of let all of the performances come together that people it could have a better reception with respect to that in some ways yeah um, but on the other hand, I don't think it's such a big thing that you need to harp on. It's just, it's one of those things that jumps out to me when I start seeing like, like they, they took a lot of big, like, like the difference in how they develop the relationship between Bella and Toinette versus the, the relationship that develops between Bella and damn near any man in this movie is just fucking chef's kiss. And they just, they just do it. And, you know, there's a lot of sex there's a lot of nudity, but I didn't feel like any of it was gratuitous or overly salacious. But when you get down to like where there's care and there's there's comfort and there's actual intimacy, that relationship does not happen between Bella and a man. And I think they're very specific as to why it doesn't happen. And a part of it goes back to the question you asked me about, did you anybody feel weird about him looking at this girl as somebody he might want to hunch when the first time he met her, she peed in the floor because she's a baby. Bro, in the middle of everything, she just peed in the floor, and it was like, what? She's a baby. <laughs> but, but I also feel like, you know, the encouragement of how she develops and which ways she's developed. The realization that Mark Ruffalo has in this movie about who he is as a person and what has been done to him as a result of this. All of these pieces come together and none of them click unless you build the entire picture. But you don't have to care about any of that because this movie is fucking hilarious it, to the point okay. of absurdity. Can I, can I just say that also I feel proud of myself because the only time to me that Bella's character is attractive <laughs> is after she has grown a substantial amount of knowledge (laughs) and understanding and is speaking to that knowledge and understanding. There is absolutely no attraction to her character 
So you're happy to know. Probably first hour and some change in this film. <laughs> it is just like, Lord, Lord, save. So you're this happy movie. to know that you require intellectual rigor in order to be a. <laughs> I actually know what it is. You know what it is. I require wisdom. And which grown. comes with growth. You, you require you you require this person to be an adult. Yes, a whole ass adult. Which it, you know, you you referenced like the 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 graphic scenes, the sex scenes or whatever, which are in the second half very strongly, second and the third half very strongly of this film. But it's not grotesque, right? Because it it's all it's all her gaining wisdom and understanding. So when there is an uncomfortable scene, you get it from her perspective of being uncomfortable. Like, oh, I didn't realize this could be this uncomfortable okay or annoyed or right and at the same time she's not a she's not a victim she's not what i would consider a victim in those scenes even though her being her gender of this era in almost any fucking era kind of makes her a victim but you know it's just a victim of the systematic bullshit that everyone is putting up with, and she's just learning for the first time. I don't know if I don't know if "victim's" the right word, but I know what you mean. Yeah, but that, I don't. But I hate. I don't really like using the term "victim," yeah. but I feel like people I, have I, more of an understanding. I, I call them hostages. She, I could. Dad is a hostage. She's a hostage. That is appropriate. Yes, she is a hostage. So that actually, I agree. That works better than "victim." She's a hostage. But I, but I like the fact that they lean into it and they play with it. That's why I did the, um, a mediaversity breakdown for this movie. I think I was still in the movie theater when I emailed uh, Lee, who's the editor over at Mediaversity, asking, "Could I do the breakdown for this movie?" Because I really like this movie, and I didn't want someone who was on the fence about whether they liked it or didn't like it to write the technical portion that's talking about what the actual movie is about before mm-hmm. they evaluated how well it did. I gave the movie a B minus overall for Mediaversity because I feel like it does a solid job of holding together technically all of the pieces that need to come together for this to be a good story, an interesting story, even if it's weird and it's not for everybody. Because I did say that they're, they're plot bunnies, they're bizarre plot shenanigans, and that may, the mileage is going to vary. But outside of that, I even feel like, you know, they made an attempt to write in a colorblind fashion. And I feel like that proved detrimental to the Black characters who do exist and have lines in this movie. Um, they're never supposed to have a big part, but they they do have solid parts. And it was kind of sad to see them underutilized when there was there was room in the story being told for them not to be. But I also said that this movie does more than a serviceable job dealing with the queer characters and the queer storyline because there's an intersection between, um, you know, her her sexual awareness and her awakening and her growth and her liberation and her freedom and intimate partner relationships and intimacy, but also intimate partner violence. And I feel like they kind of built this whole story around with there. But when you get into it and you're thinking about some of the stuff that you're saying now that she's coming to awareness and she's a victim, um, you can't fully discount that because it's also true. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are times when you get in here and you realize that she's not scared. She's not feeling... Um, what you're seeing is she's annoyed. Like, she's super annoyed. Like, you want her to feel upset like she doesn't feel the discomfort that they want her to feel at some of the times like when they're trying to get her not to do something Mm -hmm. and she's like why 
Mm. Like, why would I, I not want to do this? This is the why. This is the why movie, right? This is the you know, little kids always ask you, well, why? But why? But why? This is definitely the but why film all yeah. the way through. Yeah, but I think it's very specifically in a lot of places where you get in and her reaction is atypical is a, one of the reasons why I say I don't want to call her a, a victim. But mm-hmm. I would say that, you know, she's a prisoner of circumstances. She's a prisoner of her time period and everything that she does to try to break outside of that, you know, by the end, it leads to drastic measures. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I really, really like the end of this movie. What, what would you guys give it out of 10? Oh, uh, this is kind of like an eight and a half or a nine for me. Yeah. I, really, I was surprised I'm an eight and a half. how much I liked it. Yeah, so I, I can settle out eight and a half. What about you, Chris? Yeah, I think we're eight and a half across the board then, because I was going to put eight and a half down. So, mm-hmm. yeah. eight and a half happy humpings. Out of, out of happy ten. humpings, <laughs> furious jumpings, whatever. You know, you know. Listen, I mean, you like if you just have to distract, you know, no, no, just press your happy button, you'll be all right. Right? Yeah, that was <laughs> hilarious. Just. Oh, no, let me let me show you. It was like, whoa, 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 whoa. All right, all right. Um, <laughs> all right, folks. Well, again, we got plenty more uh, movies to talk about, so make sure you guys subscribe, movie trailer reviews. Uh, go to mtrnetwork.net. And again, uh, you know, we get into the new year, which is literally in a few days. Uh, we will also then start doing, uh, we'll probably bring this film up again when we talk about some of the best films of 2023 as we move towards the awards. So stay tuned for that. So. Again, folks, thank you very much for listening. Until next time, we're out of here. Peace.